Welcome to the run-in. We've got a really, really exciting episode um, coming up for you. We've got all the roundup from the World Cup Round 3 in Switzerland, which saw the resurgence of some British success in the sprinting. And we'll be chatting to one of the medalists there, Ralph Street. We'll also have a little word about Jack and a little word about Mountain Bike Co. Maybe have a look uh, forward to some of the relay races going on in Scandinavia as well in the next week. Um, but Will's here. Will, you've just come back from a couple of weeks in Australia, down there for the Oceana Champs and, you know, visiting people, having a holiday, all that kind of stuff. How was it? It was good. Yeah, that no, was good. Headed up to the Oceania Champs, which did not go quite as I planned because I got a little bit sick while I was out there, had a bit of a cold. So, First one I've had in a couple of years, which is a bit frustrating. And the heat was also unbearable. It was about 35 degrees on one day. Oh, man. So that was uh, not fun. The uh, the water stops on the long-distance races were a bit of an issue of, by the time they set the elites out, all the water had gone oh. from either a container that had leaked or from other people just drinking it all. So mentally challenging races as well as anything else. But I've, I've got to say, the, the long-distance I did on the Saturday just gone is got to be one of the best courses I think I've ever done. It was a place called Kangaroo Crossing uh, set by Warren Key. Um, and if anyone's not seen it, I'd suggest going mm-hmm. on to yeah. um, livingitlive.com.au and they've got all the GPS tracking from the whole week up there. It's an incredibly technical granite forest, a mix of eucalyptus and native pine trees, cypress pine, which are very um, kind of low level trees and the rocks are incredibly detailed um, and it's really hilly as well so 14k and an hour and 50 for me which was a, a bit of on, on one energy gel so it was a bit of a brutal <laughs> a brutal Saturday but the Aussies do know how to put on uh, quite good events um, you know big screen TVs in the arena GPS tracking on the 14 year old classes the M65 and W65 the elites you know real mixture of people and and running cameramen out in the terrain, drone footage, you know, fantastic pro- production value that they were doing for the events themselves, and really they were doing a great job. And it makes me a bit envious that we don't do that kind of that that kind of stuff in Britain. We don't really have GPS tracking, and for mm-hmm. the, the, the the Australian Schools Championships were in the middle of the week from Tuesday to Thursday, and they had GPS tracking on on the juniors and the, the kind of the eleven to fourteen year olds, and then the wow. fifteen to seventeen year olds. So. There are lots of things to start thinking about over here and what we can do a bit better maybe in terms of our races and and, and how we do stuff. But uh, no, really, really good, really good trip. Yeah, I definitely recommend going and checking out particularly the long distance map. It's amazing and there's like a big, long route choice leg all the way out. Think about where you'd go on that one. That's very, yeah. very interesting. Meanwhile, uh, we had the World Cup round three which is in switzerland and there's four events each year that form part of the world cup if you're in the top so many positions you get some world cup points and then over the end of the year you know the person with the most world cup points is wins the world cup overall so round three was in switzerland there was a middle a knockout sprint and a sprint so um started with the middle which was in um it's quite frustrating with undergrowth it's not the most fun to run through quite hilly rocky big features big tracks as well a lot of route choice needed in parts um the terrain for the middle distance 
and a long descent into um, the town at the end, as was expected. And uh, the Swiss, Joey Hadon, took a fairly shock win in the men's. We know he's very, very mm. fast. He's one of the fastest Swiss guys when they do their 5K um, track time trial that they use as part of their selections. But um, it's the first time he'd ever got a medal um, at a World Cup race. And... Um, Tova Alexanderson won the women's again. She's actually unbeaten in the World Cup this year. But the Swiss youngster, Simone Abasol, did manage to match her at her speed for at least the, the first part of the course. So, you know, maybe someone is going to challenge Alexanderson uh, in the long run as well. Of course, we had mm. a big team of Brits out there. And again, I think nobody was really very happy with their race. Kat Taylor, you can see her messing up the first control. She basically went completely straight to the first control and must have just been one side or the other of it and made some mistakes there. Megan Carter-Davis said she was making mistakes to control 11. There was like some crags on a slope and she saw her boyfriend, Ben Mitchell, who I think had started like a minute after her, a minute before her. She said this never happens, but they basically started a minute apart at the same time making pretty much a similar mistake and then it all kind of went wrong a little bit for the boat for both of them um at that point but otherwise had um pretty decent um speed it looked like um around around the course yeah ralph seemed to go okay maybe wrong route choice to number three he's gonna to chat a bit about that later when we get to the interview but um i mean it's it was a terrain and race that the swiss did very well at predictably like they know that terrain very well and for a lot of the others the the whole focus has been on the world champs this year people haven't had you know the endless training camps that that people have had in Norway for the world championships they just haven't been you know the case for for running in Switzerland Mm. yeah yeah, definitely and uh, I I thought it looked quite similar to the Forest of Dean actually in my kind of uh, brief look at the maps it looked similar to that but obviously a much bigger uh hillier version um but uh yeah. i think probably probably run of the day for the brits was yeah it was was johnny's very impressive uh 22nd place that's a real breakthrough in mm. the forest for him and from someone who's not done a whole lot of forest training this year at all he's done more of the ultramarathon stuff and um uh, we spoke about it in june the uh the mistake he did at eugla there you know coming back from that, get back into the forest and, mm. and building up his confidence again. He's just absolutely smashed uh, the World Cup of, of a really high calibre. You know, everyone's out there you know, looking for really good final races of the season after possibly some disappointing what performances and he's, and he's done really well, especially that final section to the final 2K was downhill and into town. So mm. that really played to his strengths. I think he can yeah. send um, as well as anybody else out there. So yeah. uh, as I know to my detriment at British Midlands because <laughs> he took me out. Um <laughs> So yeah, and, and it's harder to get, um, you know, a high position. The teams are huge, like, to the yeah. World Championships, oh, and there's, like, three Swedes there. There's, like, six, seven Swedes, you know, male Swedes on the start line. It's ridiculous. There's huge teams. So, actually, placing high up is much, arguably, much more difficult in a World Cup as well. Um, and then it feels like, finally... On the, f- the Saturday, we moved out of the forest and into the towns for the sprints. So much of the focus of last 12 months plus has been on forest orienteering. And as a nation, kind of not done as well as we'd hoped. Um, a lot of people had high expectations on themselves, not performed as as well as they'd hoped is, is maybe, you know, they, they've considering how much effort they've put into training and everything. So 
personally, it was really nice to get sprinting and get to celebrate some success all the way through the team. So we had the knockout sprints. So you start off with a qualifier. There's three heats of qualifying. Top 12 in each heat go through to the quarterfinal, which is six heats of six. They all start at the same time. The first three to cross the line qualify into the semi-final. That gives you three semi-finals of six runners each. Again, each of those semi-finals run separately. They all run a start at the same time. Then the top two from each heat qualify to the final where you have those six best starting it again at the same time. First across the line is the winner. There's lots of... Um, mm ways of the that she can run um the qualifier was a straight qualifier um i think was people kind of a few people were caught out a few names not making it there was um a castle and a bridge over to the castle but they've blocked off the main bridge so you had to kind of go down and round and up and some people didn't spot the right route choice and apparently there were loads of people just kind of running onto the bridge and just kind of stopping and going yeah. Ah, what do we do? <laughs> um, but I mean, we got we got five out of our six men qualify. So Chris Millard, Chris Jones, Johnny Crickmore, Ralph Street, Peter Hodkinson, uh, Alex Carcass in I think his second World Cup um, race. He was 26th. He missed out. And we got two out of our six women, Alice Leak and Megan Carter Davis. Charlotte Ward was 12th equal in her heat, but she was lower ranked in the rankings than Cecilia Freeburg-Klusner, so missed out on that technicality. Brutal for Charlotte Ward. You know, she had the time what? to get in there. That's how, that's how it works. Those are the rules. That's Sarah ridiculous. Jones was 18th. She was 22 seconds off qualifying. And we also had Cecilia Anderson and Joe Shepard miss out, which, I mean, if you think about those women who had on the team, a lot of those aren't really sprint specialists, as we'd, like, traditionally call them, and particularly mm. somebody like Joe Shepard, who's very much a forest orienteer. So it was really exciting to see her race that. But, yeah, two out of our six women qualified. Then we went into the quarterfinal, which was, like, kind of glorified butterfly loops. Um, everybody qualified, apart from uh, Peter Hodkinson, who was sixth on his, his quarterfinal. He said he was caught out by the planner you know hands up he really enjoyed it but you know he got tricked out by the course he's like fair enough that's orienteering chris smithard was oh brutally edged out in the closest Mm. sprint finish of i think the entire weekend maybe by emil svensk there were four of them at that last control at the same time he just didn't quite have it and actually as a result of that, he was um, injured out of the, the sprint the next day. And Johnny Crickmore also disappointing for him sixth. So it meant we had two men, that's um, Chris Jones and Ralph Street, and two women, Alice Leak and Megan Carter-Davis, into the semi-finals. Bear in mind, that's the top 18 in the world there. So that's yeah. already a great, great Pretty position good. to be Not in. Bad. Yeah, fantastic. The semi-finals then were a little bit uh, later on in the afternoon. They were runner's choice. So there's a section that you choose between A, B or C. They're all marked on different maps. You have to, 20 seconds to decide which one you're going to choose. It's more really to split the athletes up than maybe get them going further or shorter or anything. As you're going to hear more in detail later on when we chat to Ralph, uh, Ralph and Chris were both in the same heat. Ralph took the best route choice to the last control, overtook... Matthias Kibbert and Tobias Pizzati um, to win that heat. Chris, very strong at the end, managed to get it right. And both Ralph and Chris qualified into the final. In the women's semi-final, um, it was very, very exciting. 
Megan Carter Davis was leading into that penultimate control. Unfortunately, she took the wrong route choice. Uh, she was overtaken by Sabine Hauswitt and Natalia Gempeler. She ended up in third. She was so close to qualifying and pretty much the same thing with Alice. Um, she was edged out into third place by Teresa Yanisikova, uh, who ended up in second of the whole thing, and Eleanor Ross, who ended up third of the whole thing. So both of those women were so happy and pumped and pleased with their performances. Mm. You know, being just outside the top six in the world, I think is way more than they'd thought going into it. I think it'd be really interesting if they'd attacked that semi-final in the same way that they did the quarter-final. I think they were they were happy to get to the semi-final and didn't really expect to get any further. But mm. I mean, oh, so much positives from the two of them. They raced really, really well and were just beaten by faster women in the in the end or, you know, just messing up that last that last route choice that you know when your brain is kind of gone at the end um i mean yeah i'm just incredible from the two of them yeah oh, it's fantastic especially alice has had uh such an up and down season as mm. well with with injury earlier in the year so it's great that she can come back and um maybe the, the performance at walk last year in the sprint where she got a top 10 was mm. a bit of a surprise for um for people including alice herself and um, uh, but now to come back up, back in the first uh, international race this year, she's already back in the top 10. Yeah. You know, it just proves how good she is. And so, uh, yeah. yeah, we know how good Megan is and we've spoken about it all year, but you know, it's great from Alice as well to um, to see her back. And yeah, really pleasing that those two can get there. And, and maybe, um, I guess we'll, we'll chat about this a bit later with Ralph, but uh, the tactics there, they they should have, I, I don't know, maybe if there was something tactically they would do they would do differently looking back at it or if they feel they made the right tactical decision in that moment um, or if they just, maybe they just needed that m- bit more confidence of going, right, well, I'm in the semi-final, that's great, mm-hmm. final, that's where I want to, right, new, new, new goal, new aim and let's go for the final. And then so we have Chris and Ralph into the final, um, again, some runner's choice. Chris, unfortunately for him, there was a control from earlier in the day and he thought that was the start point. So then headed straight on when the others went right. You know, he kept going straight on for a bit and it was like, ah, oh. so that was pretty much his race finish. Yeah. That was it. You know, he, you, you, there was no way he could have come he could have come back from that. So pretty much took it reasonably easy around around the rest of the course. But some people, you know, would think he was disappointed that. Surprisingly, he was very upbeat and said, you know what, I made the final of a knockout sprint. That was the easiest run for sixth place in a World Cup I've ever had. And, you know, he's still so pleased that he was able to get onto that top six podium, get those prizes. Um, and and Ralph, we will have a, a chat to, to him about his perspective on the race, but finishing third to the Brits on that in that top six podium and Ralph with uh, that bronze medal position is was just so exciting and yeah really speaks loads about British sprinting and you know with the potential that there could be in the future as well mm. oh for sure it's it's fantastic that not only are we getting people into those semi-finals but they're in medal winning positions in the finals and and what could Chris have done I guess if he hadn't have made that mistake at the first control and and where would he have been? Would we have had two, possibly two people on the podium? Because the race could have played out completely differently, and yeah. maybe maybe they both could have broken away for gold and silver in yeah. in an ideal world. So, I mean, it's it's amazing that, and this then this feels like, I 
I'm, I'm gonna put the uh, not the blame for this, but the adulation for this on this, Catherine, because we said earlier in the year that you know a big result was coming for the mm. country, and and it felt mm. like it was bubbling up into you know something is coming and we're moving in the right direction and this is exactly it it's almost as if like right well that's it okay we can do it now and boom barrier broken and it's just fantastic we've got multiple people inside the top 30 top 20 it's like okay well they belong there they all belong there well hold that thought because i want to quickly chat about the sprint before i add another comment on that because um the next day so the sunday was uh, what i'm now calling a classic sprint race um as opposed to a knockout sprint i don't know if it's going to catch on that word but we'll see there was a final that was um broadcast the top 40 based on a mixture of knockout sprint qualifying world rankings blah blah blah, blah. but a big shout out to charlotte ward who ran the b final she was third in the b final that position would have put her 16th in the a final so there's a top 20 position for charlotte ward four seconds slower than alice i mean really great stuff from her she was just like i'm gonna run run the b final see where i place in the a final i think she was um pretty pleased with her her performance there particularly i want to look at megan carter davis who is in the a final uh ended up being ninth fantastic result from her she uh unfortunately megan seems to have a habit of appearing on camera when she's making mistakes honestly i feel like we've seen (laughs) megan a lot this year and she's done so much good orienteering but we just keep seeing her when she's making mistakes and it's ah i feel really sorry for her actually because she's doing we're doing a lot of good stuff as well as making some small mistakes anyway she said she ran a bit too fast at the start um, I think maybe maybe a hangover from that pace that you had to go of the of the knockout sprint made a couple of mistakes after crossing the main road, kind of just turning in too early to things. Um, in the end, she was ten seconds off bronze, which is fantastic. So you know, so much potential there too. So much potential for Alice Leak, who ended up twelfth. She had great speed. She lost about 15 seconds though on the route choice back into the old town she said you know she was pushing it she just didn't see the best route choice lost about 15 seconds there and if you minus those 15 seconds she'd have been equal sixth so again like that other that top six like kind of diploma winning top six that we like to talk about um was is in the grass i mean you know we are talking ifs and buts here and and you know races if you start obsessing about the seconds you've lost then you know we need to think about the actual races as it was run but I mean, yeah, again, look, two top 15s in the women's. Uh, and then also in the men's, Ralph ended up 13th. He made a mistake at the end going up the wrong street, but again, a fantastic speed, good route choice. Um, was leading at the last intermediate for ages. Peter Hawkinson had a great run as well. I mean, he didn't really feature too much in the broadcast. I'm not exactly sure what happened to him, but he was 12th. Another fantastic result. Mm-hmm. And then Chris... Chris Jones, after um, arguably a bit, a bit disappointed with uh, making the error in the final of the knockout sprint, he had a fantastic run. He finished second, uh, so another medal for Chris. His biggest time loss is on the long leg back to the old town, but you know many of the top guys got that wrong. You could see he had some great speed. He was catching up the leader, Yannick Mikkels, in the end, and, and ended up only being two seconds uh, from the gold medal. But... Um, I mean, Chris Chris admitted, you know, he's not had really been running with a map very much. You know, before the British sprints, he was he was panic training and trying to, trying to get back into the map. And so for him to have that kind of form, having not done much orienteering training, he was very pleased. 
um, mm. with his. It's pretty impressive. That one too, yeah. And also, I mean, so we had Johnny Crickmore in 30th and Alex Carcass as well was two seconds faster than Johnny. He was 20th in the B final. Your point earlier, Will, about this momentum building and a lot of inspiration coming from particularly the success of the juniors. Yeah, it has really come out. And not just in our podium positions, not just in the two medals that the team won, but in the number of top 10s and top 15s we've had and the number of personal successes and hopefully the confidence that this will give people that, yes, they can do it. They can mix with the best in the world and have great performances and feel good and get good positions even making a few mistakes I think is so fantastic to see and it just feels so good that we're now on to sprinting as a fan of uh, you know the British team and of British orienteering ah it's I was so exciting I was I was actually trying not to get ahead of myself in commentary then Jonas, who was standing next to me commentating with me, he was like, no, you deserve to get excited about this. This is good orienteering. <laughs> this is success happening here. And I was like, okay, I can get excited now. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And I, I got a pretty big um, FOMO from uh, fear of, not, of missing out from being in Australia. Even though I was having a great holiday, I saw the results like, God, why aren't I in Switzerland getting good results right now while I'm mm. messing up controls on the hillside and... <laughs> near Wagga Wagga. <laughs> Pete Hodgkins has now moved back out to Melbourne, so uh, we had a bit of a chat once he um, got over to the Oceania Champs on the Wednesday. And he's saying just the, the atmosphere within the team, and even though he um, he was a bit disappointed with his forest and his knockout, that uh, you know, he went and got the good result in the individual. It's like, right, yeah, back on track. And and it's almost like a momentum thing of the, the team's just going somewhere at the same time, um, which is just really positive. And it's going to be incredibly hard to make mm. the team for what next mm. year. I don't yes. think any of us are under any illusions for that. Yeah, very, very exciting. I'm just glad I am. I'm not going to be part of that selection race, battle, whatever you want to call it. I'm just yeah. going to... War, <laughs> I think. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a war. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to sit back and watch it happen and, you know try and try and understand what's going on anyway there have been things that have happened again in the last couple of weeks that haven't been australia or uh, switzerland england won the bhis on scottish terrain great performance uh, all round from that team in mountain bike orienteering it's just been the world cup final there emily benham crawler won her sixth gold of the year six individual starts in the world cup six golds so impressive her form this year um after becoming a mum over christmas and it was also the world masters as well lots of other medals there too some fantastic performances too many to go into this episode is long enough as it is um <laughs> we also had the junior european cup uh which took place in the southeast quarter of france in like a mountainous regional park and oh can't stop talking about these girls more medals megan keith winning the w18 sprint around this french village which looks like it had a lot of man-made barriers and fences in there made it very interesting grace malloy second in the w20 silver medal for her of course uh, a big team uh went out to france so some more um 
great performances as well, particularly thinking like Ailey Campbell, 21st, just outside of that top 20. Then there was a long distance, it was big, steep hill, big features, lots of route choice, very different. Megan Keith getting another top 10, so ninth place for her in the long distance. Ailey Campbell, another top 20, she was 17th. And uh, Grace Malloy, well, she got her second medal of that uh, weekend with the bronze medal in the W20 long distance. Goodness me, she's on a roll, that uh, is Grace. And um, again, then there was a relay uh, at the end. Doesn't look like uh, the girls had quite maybe... Uh, as good performances as early in the week the uh the women's relay of megan alien grace all scots in case you're wondering were um 12th uh the second team were 21st but uh this time it was the men's relay team who did the better so floey grierson zach Carden, alster uh, thomas were 11th and their second team was 27th not a bad weekend there um, no it's kind of end of season and and you're not quite sure what shape people are turning up in mm. maybe but I guess everyone's turned up in very good shape so some fantastic results there from from all the juniors at um, Junior European Cup and excited to see what they're going to do next year as well um, next up we've got um, an interview with Ralph Street talking all things uh, World Cup knockout in Switzerland and just how he got that bronze medal um, so thanks very much Ralph for joining us start me off by telling me how much preparation or how little preparation you had going into the World Cup round. You know, I'm guessing all your focus was on the World Champs this year. So I actually only really decided whether I was going to go to Switzerland after I'd done the World Champs. Mm-hmm. I'd uh, done a bit of scouting for the, if I could find an old map of the area. Couldn't find anything. Had Talking about the forest, this is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having a little look and, you know, worked out, OK, it's going to be very Swiss. It's going to be bit steep there'll be some rocks it's going to be very similar to the other world cups that i've done in switzerland at at this time of the year with you know the standard thing long run back into town basically yep yep so the forest was pretty much as i expected the sprint i hadn't looked around but laufen Mm -hmm. at all and hadn't actually looked at zwingen either there was a suggestion that Oh, basically, they'll use so many fences or there'll be some fences out there that uh, actually bothering to learn anything is probably not a sensible idea. I think I might have gone through the old map once that was there, but that's about it. So um, in answer to your question, very little... (laughs) I mean, I was talking about this before and during the World Cup. Like, everybody's focus has been on the World Championships. You just kind of do that, have a bit of a break afterwards, and then there's a lot of questions that need answering when you're coming into the World Cup round, and especially when it's this now, the forest and the sprint is separate. So there's lots of people being like, oh, what's my sprint form like? What do I do next year? I'm completely in that boat of I didn't do any sprint training. I haven't done any sprint training since I was in Switzerland last time, which was the European Champs. I haven't mm. run a single sprint race. I was in Turkey with the junior squad, British junior squad, preparing for Junior World Champs next year. And I ran two sprint races there. Um, and we did a little bit in Oslo. Obviously thought a lot about how I was going to do orienteering. It's difficult to prepare for these World Cups. Yeah, yeah you know. and especially as there's four in a year, if you do all four. You know, you've got to motivate yourself. There's taking that time out of your day. I think, you know, some people do it. They love orienteering and they 
will have spent I don't know I think no one I don't think anyone spends hundreds of hours looking at these World Cups but they might spend tens maybe yeah yeah well there's lots of kind of prep you can do so it sounds like your kind of prep your idea or your expectations of the middle distance were pretty spot on um how how was your middle distance race talk us through it um it was pretty okay not to be too depressing but it's a bit um how i've run all year mm-hmm. um which to sum that up is uh the best race i've had all year is yukula this year where i mispunched on the second last control and disqualified the whole team mm-hmm. so the standard isn't particularly high maybe for my my orienteering and with that said, it was okay. I lost a little bit of time on this route, the long route choice to the third control. I've been told it feels like I've lost more time than it, than I should, or that it looks the decision I made doesn't look as bad as the outcome. Okay. Did so I, it was, I didn't it was, that it was worse well. than it looks. So you um, lost the, more the, time the than it would look, look on your route I took choice. Looks okay. Yeah. But it's lost me more time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've either been a bit slow or actually there's a problem with that route choice. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, apart from this route choice, um, I oriented I oriented pretty well, I think. I mean, I didn't really lose any time. I lost. I made some hesitations mm-hmm. and I potentially could have been a little bit more aggressive in a few places, got a little bit unsure about exactly what I was doing. But I struggled basically um to really feel like i could properly attack the course which is the the feeling i've had this year is that when i get out into something that's nice and runnable i haven't Mm. really got that switch that i can flick to really turn the speed on okay um i've it's come like a, a couple of times in a couple of places um, so the the qualifier for the middle at World Champs actually felt that I got out on some of this uh, bare rock terrain mm-hmm. and, and I was able to actually go for it. But I haven't really had it at any other points in time. So what I felt in Switzerland was I would get out on the track and I'd go, right, I just need to run down this track for 300 metres or something. Mm. And I couldn't really quite get the speed up. Why do you think you're struggling to find that extra gear on the really fast bits? Well, I don't really know. The suggestion, <laughs> current working suggestion is that basically I've run a lot in the terrain this year. Mm-hmm. And so it's just hard. It's just been hard work in the forest. I'm, I've really been looking for terrain to run in. I've basically not run at all on solid, decent ground. Maybe I'm just lacking that... Uh, lacking that real speed to, or the transition or something. I don't know how yeah. to describe it properly. That's okay. the theory. Or that was the theory <laughs> until I ran some sprint orienteering. And it turns out probably my physical form is actually not too bad. You brought up sprinting at the right time, Ralph, because the next uh, event of the World Cup was the knockout sprint. Had you done one before? I've done two qualifiers for knockout sprints when it was part of the Nordic Orienteering Tour, I guess 2011 and 2013, kind of that kind of time, so mm-hmm. a while mm-hmm. ago. But I um, didn't get through the qualifications yeah. on, either, on either attempt. 
Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, you didn't know how far you'd get this time, but how did you approach that whole day of competition? Like you said, I sort of had no idea, basically. I mean, I, I'd, I'd expected to... Uh... I'd expected to qualify. Mm-hmm. That should be um, the goal. And then mm-hmm. it was going to be a bit more exciting, basically. Yeah. See who's in your heat and have that kind of race against them. Well, we're going to come on to, to what happened on that. But quick touch on the qualifier, which you what you say so you won your qualifying heat. Were you surprised? Oh, massively shocked. I'd made a bit of a hesitation to the first control. Got very stressed because I was convinced the qualifying window was going to be tiny mm-hmm. and that actually I might be like in the kind of a little bit on the border zone potentially. Then I'd mm. in my mind messed this next route choice up. So I was thinking, right, that's hesitation, a bad route choice. I might be 15 seconds down already and it's a 20 second qualifying window. I'm in real trouble. I've really got to go for this. Okay. And then you suddenly sprint, 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 sprint cross the finishing line and their pair Forsberg is saying new best time <laughs> oh oh dear <laughs> well not oh dear but I kind of wow that was a bit unexpected maybe should have jogged the run in if I'd known that was uh, that was going to happen so that must have given you loads of confidence going into the next round that you had some speed even if you you know wasted some of it on the qualifier arguably yeah, well, I don't know. I, well, it was just a, like I said, it was a shock, basically. It was sort of like, what am I doing here? What, what, how on earth has this possibly happened? What's going on? But then I was thinking, actually, now you're in a slightly better position because now you can see everyone you're running against mm-hmm. once it gets into those knockout rounds and you've got a, maybe a bit more control over the situation. But I think I knew as well that actually my own orienteering must be going all right. Sprint orienteering must be going all right. So um, if I had to do something on my own, that would be uh, that would be all right as well. Yeah. So quarterfinal next in um, in Zwingen, and yeah, you said you're in the same heat as Matthias Kibbertz. Talk talk us through the actual race. Well, I was obviously there was three to qualify. So that's the mm. most important thing to know. Yeah, right, six okay, started be, three to qualify. Yeah, got to be top three. It's highly likely to be a, a loop forking system because of the information that we got before got beforehand so you're standing there right okay make sure when you pick the map up that you check the butterfly and you know which way you're leaving basically Mm. and then you run with your group on the butterfly and then you'll come out the end and the might then there'll be some kind of sprint that was my thinking yeah we started off and then and i worked out where the butterfly was and i thought okay yep got this I'm on my half of the butterfly and I'm with Matthias and Tobia. Thinking, great, oh, good group perfect, to be you know, behind the European world sprint champion, whatever. All I need to do is just follow him around the butterfly loop and it'll be no problem because he'll orienteer faster than anyone else. And then I'm running along and he punches this control in front of me. I'm thinking, oh dear. Like, that's not my control. So I better start doing a bit more map reading. Being the silly boy that I am, obviously hadn't worked out that there'd be more than two options on this butterfly loop, which is, you know, it's a ridiculously stupid decision to make. But um, we're all learning constantly. (laughs) Um, So then I was, you know, 
stress that I'd obviously lost this time going via his control to my control as sort of at the back of this group, like really working hard. And then we got around the second loop and I was just about in touch with Matthias. So that meant that I got to follow him around the last bit of the last loop. And then we appeared back at the control having done all of the butterfly bits and there was no one, there was myself, Matthias and Tobia basically mm-hmm. on our own, yeah. no one else around. And it was like, fantastic. Unless someone's done something amazing, then we're going to qualify easily. Um, so that was fantastic. Like, right, yeah. great, into the semi-final. Um, can go home and rest, basically. Yeah, there's a bit more of a break between the the quarterfinal and the semi-final and then you, and just kind of like a transition to the semi-final and the final, both in Laufen. So moving one town a lot, uh, uh, like along the valley, basically. Is that hard to kind of reset between the quarterfinal and the semi-final compared to the the semi and the final itself? Because obviously when you're in that racing mode, did you just want to kind of crack on with it or, or were you looking forward to the break? Well, because I didn't know how far I was going to get in the competition, hadn't really done any planning at all. Hmm. But I'm very fortunate to have Chris Jones on my team, who's a meticulous <laughs> planner of everything. So basically, I could just ask him all the questions that I had. and uh, Oh, that's handy. <laughs> it's very, very, very handy. And I remember this from World Champs in Sweden. And I was rooming with Chris Jones in between the sprint and the sprint final. Well, the whole week I was rooming with Chris Jones. But specifically, between the sprint qualifier and the final, I was very impressed with with him. With how he, we got back to the accommodation and basically he got into bed straight away and was just full-on chill-out mode. He knew everything that was going on, all the timings. He'd done all of the, like, packing and preparation and everything. So he just kind of sat there and relaxed between the races while I was there kind of stressing a little bit with bits and pieces. So he's the perfect person to have kind of with you, mentoring you through these uh, races almost. Because I'd then worked out, okay, he's now in the same semi-final as me because he'd qualified in his heat. So I could then ask him, okay, what time is the semi-final, Chris? And he'd be like, it's this time. And I could go, right, I need to warm up at this time then. And he was in the car as well. So he'd be like, right, we need to go home. And Chris would be like, I'll fix this for you, Ralph. So no, just a wonderful, (laughs) wonderful person. (laughs) It sounds like the ideal coach, actually. We need to start employing him. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I've answered your question there, Will. No, um... well, I'm I'm just interested to hear that kind of, because I've, I've never done... A World Cup knockout. I've done one at what at Mock. I think the qualifier was the day before, and the afternoon afterwards was all the quarter semis and finals, bam, 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 straight after each other. So it's that split that I was just interested in, kind of just what went through your head and what went on. But no, I, I think that answered it perfectly. You know, um, Chris, well, Chris I mean, did all the work. Yeah. Well, what went on was right. I need to relax as much as possible, and I need to mm. eat um, enough food to sustain me to do another another race, basically get in the car, go back to the accommodation, lie down and relax, basically. That was the plan. Yeah, works out. And then uh, into the semi-final, did you think as much as you did in the quarterfinal about who you're racing against? And is that important for you to think like that? Because I'm sure some people will just won't really think about who they're running against. I mean, that's a very interesting point about who cares who they're running against Mm. i think maybe if you're really very very good and very very confident you don't care at all who you're running against 
I care about who I'm running against because it's a head-to-head race and you should probably know the strengths of the people you're up against. Yeah, well, that's good to hear you say that because, like, that's one thing that is still helping differentiate this knockout sprint from a sprint where, you know, you're doing your own race on a classic sprint, as I keep calling it, whereas you're you're not in the, the knockout. You are racing the people who are around you. I love that extra element of preparation you've got to look into as well of, of who has got a kick, who hasn't. Do you need to kind of break away earlier or, or can you sit and, and be confident in yourself and, and look at yourself more as a, as a racer as well and look at your own strengths and what you can rely on from yourself? I think it's a fascinating uh, kind of balance that you're having to strike and an extra, extra elements to think about and, and where you can gain advantage over people. I think it's amazing. Yeah, just from a personal standpoint. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. Exactly. I think I think the tactics are going to develop as mm. more and more people run more and more yeah. of these races. Because I, I think it won't necessarily be the people who are best at sprint who are necessarily always the best at knockout mm. sprint. That, yeah. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, because I think that there haven't been enough done so far, and and yeah, we're not starting to learn about tactics and how people play it, how people run these things because it's simply I think to newer formats but um, the semi-final uh, you get there it's runner's choice and I assume you knew it was going to be runner's choice yeah yes I mean 95% sure or 97% yeah. sure it's going to be runner's choice I had no idea it was going to be runner's choice and then I turned up to the arena the day before and saw them putting all the barriers up between all the start lanes and I was like yep I now know what format it's going to be and all the teams were around there the night before I was like well yes now all the teams know what format it's going to be as well um so what what goes through your head on the runner's choice so there's three maps with three different kind of sections of the course on a b and c you have to look at those each independently and decide which one you want to do well, this is another thing that I had to go and ask the boys about, basically, because I've uh, <laughs> never done this before. But they've been Correct doing it, as I understand, they've been doing it in Edinburgh quite a mm. bit. And I think the suggestion was that you compare A against B, pick a winner, and compare that against C. This is such an orienteers thing, isn't it? Of, of yeah, I know. Debating the best manner <laughs> in which to compare three different pieces of paper. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, if you explain this to anyone on the street, they, they would wonder what... Ralph, you've gone for a weekend in Switzerland, and what did you do? Well, I stood on a metal barrier in front of a crowd of people, and I looked at three different bits of paper to work out which was the best. But I, I'm the same with you, Ralph. I've, I've never done Runner's Choice. I have very little knowledge about it other than what I've garnered from people's attack points in Edinburgh. So were you comfortable in that scenario of picking one? Did you, did you have confidence that you picked the right option? I think initially you think of it as, oh, this is incredibly hard. But actually, all you are doing is looking at an orienteering map. And you're probably quite good at that. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, I don't think it's a surprise that so many people end up picking the same option. Mm. Because I think we all look at orienteering maps in the same way. I can't explain what I'm looking for. But I think everyone's looking for the same thing. I but think. I mean, to be honest, the, the difference, especially in the semi-final between them, was not very much at all. One of them was maybe a second faster or two seconds faster. I've been rationalising it as mostly it's to split people up. But that decision has been made by the athlete. Because if that decision to split you up was made by the, pl- by the course planner, you know, that wouldn't be fair. But because the athletes picked it, 
yeah. then they've picked that route because they think that's the best even if there's not much in it at least they've been these runners have been split up for part of the course yeah so you made your decision very exciting semi-final talk us through you know how you experienced it at the different stages of the course well because i'd run against matthias and tobia in the quarterfinal i was sort of expecting the same kind of thing and mm-hmm. then it felt like we really went fast at the start in compared to the quarterfinal. So, so I was like, oh, right, OK, this is properly, properly serious. And we were straight into the runner's choice, which kind of went, OK, right, I've really got to get into the map reading and make sure I'm doing my own thing. But it seemed like we'd all pick the same option, both myself, Tobia and Matthias. I thought exactly how I wanted to do the legs in the runner's choice. And then when Matthias didn't do how I wanted it to do, that meant that I actually had to do a bit of map reading. But then we end, all ended up at the control after runner's choice at the same time yeah. with Chris, who'd had a different forking. So it was the four of us in a, in a group going around doing orienteering together with, with the top two to go, to go forward. And I was kind of thinking, well, when it splits, who are you going to pick? And I thought that Matthias Kibbutz is quite, generally quite a good person to, to choose as, oh, he's probably picked a decent route. Yeah. So I was going to go with his options generally. And we went round the course together and I was sat in either third or fourth, feeling pretty comfortable. And then we got near the end of the course and I thought, right, well, OK, if I'm going to beat these guys, I'm going to need to do something a little bit different. So there was a route choice where both Matthias and Chris went right and I went left with Tobia and we ended up basically at the same again. So Mm -hmm. then I was at the back chasing them and I was right. I was thinking, right, okay, I better look at the the last bit of the course. I saw that there was this route choice to the last control and I was pretty sure that the left route choice was going to be better than the right route choice. When the three of them went on the right route choice, it was like, right, you know, game on, basically. How fast can I... (laughs) It's now now (laughs) properly time to run super fast. I don't think... Mm -hmm. I, I hadn't really felt that I was having to run really fast to keep up with them. So it was like, right, give it absolutely everything I can possibly give and just double check. And, and all these weird things started going through my mind. All I had to do was go back, turn right, run along until I found the last control. And I was thinking like, have I turned down the right street? Am I doing the right thing? You know, what's going to happen on the like arena passage? And thinking, no, this is not an arena passage. Like this is the finish. Like don't so the mind plays weird tricks on you i think or weird tricks on my mind at least i got to this last control and the boys i'd expecting them to come in from the right and they never did got to last control ran around the corner and you know there was the finish line i was like oh my god how on earth has this happened (laughs) get over the finish line turn round and there's chris having uh having beat Matthias Kibbutz. Just, just. What was that, like, point of a second or something? Well, Kibbutz is seriously quick, so he was kind of coming up on him. I think if it had been a couple more metres, Matthias would have got him. The thing is, like, because he couldn't really get up to the max speed because there was a really 90-degree corner you had to go round and then quite short before the actual finish line. So playing into some people's abilities speed-wise, turning the corner-wise, agility-wise, maybe... Yeah, well, I mean, Chris was first at last control, and I think basically it's very hard to overtake on an orienteering run in usually. 
yeah very yeah. very few people overtook if, if any i think from yeah. watching from watching them so you described that route choice to the last control as the best thing you've ever done <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you stand by that comment <laughs> well one of the most i don't satisfying. think there would be many people that would think that ralph street would beat matthias kibbutz and chris jones in a knockout sprint race you did it, yeah. and we haven't even got to the final yet. <laughs> <laughs> this interview is going on for ages. I know, it? I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> it's too exciting, that's why. It's longer than the whole day I spent knockouts, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that's actually true. Um, okay, well, let's quickly move on to the final then. Um, oh, can we, can we just jump back on that greatest thing? Yeah. I mean, not to big myself up, but... But. <laughs> what I did is the essence of orienteering, isn't it? Here's a guy who's not running as fast as the other people, but he looks at the map, he takes his own choice, and he beats them. This was suggested that I had single-handedly saved knockout sprint as a, as a discipline <laughs> well, by I proving think... that it's not just following. Yeah, and so the real thing that bugged me before knockout became a thing, that people were doing it down before it was even run, of going, it's just going to be following, it's just going to be... You know, and there have been stuff in the past that Nordic Otor and of people just following because it wasn't set up correctly. But if you set it up right and do it well enough, mm. people can't follow. They need to, you know, make tactical decisions to get ahead. Like you said, you weren't running as fast, so you had to make a choice about how to get ahead. And Chris had to make a different tactical choice of, I, I can't be overtaken in the finish, finish funnel, so I need to get to the first control, the last control first. Mm. Mm. And you've got to make all of these decisions in the moment, you know, under pressure, thinking clearly and navigating and that is orienteering i think yeah and and uh, ralph not to burst your bubble but i'd credit the course setter the planner as uh saving uh knockouts well, well oh, no, i'm having none you. of that thank you for doing me <laughs> get me back down to size i'm but, um, chris jones yeah. you never would have made it to the start line exactly. what a man what a man that boy is <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, but you know there, there was like you had to be orienteering around the course and i think that with that opportunity to take a risk near the end to get ahead then you know that can only be done from great course planning i think and a great area as well because if you have a terrible area where you can't plan anything decent then you know you're also screwed the planners did a very good job but I mean, well, we're we're still so young in this format. We don't know what the mm. best what the best course is like. Are there going to be more route choice, like longer route choice legs, less controls, more route choice? It's it's so refreshing actually to have all of these you know open questions almost because not not to do it it down. Like obviously, love orienteering and really enjoy it. But to a certain stage, an hour long time trial, you you do you do enough of them. And you want to do something new. From my point of view as well, it's it's interesting finding out who is good at this format. Who and like Ralph, you said earlier, it's not the same. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the guys that are best at the sprint that are going to be best at the knockout sprint. And it's really really interesting to see like who is you know starting to do well and, and why that is. So two Brits in the final, more than uh, any other nation, which is very exciting. Very good. Uh, again, it was runner's choice with the, the six fastest guys in the world. How did, did you approach this, this final differently to the way you approached the other races, Ralph? No, I don't think so, except there's now five guys who are 
really very, very, very good at sprint orienteering <laughs> that I'm running against. I think maybe in the back of my mind, I just kind of thought that, you know, semi-final was this kind of possibility. So I don't think I'd ever really contemplated being in the final. Hadn't really thought about what we were going to expect, but we were, I think we were expecting there not to be any forking. Um, so we come up onto the start line and you just glance a little bit and you see, okay, the tents are there and they've all, and they've got the three maps out basically. Okay, right, it's runner's choice again. So thinking, okay, well, I'll just do the same thing as I did for the semi-final, you compare the maps. Okay, and who do I think I can, who, who's probably going to be in command of this, of the group maybe, and who do I think I can outkick basically, was my kind of thinking. And I knew obviously that I'd made this good decision in the semi-final. So I knew again that my orienteering is pretty good. So that was the like the words I've been given by my by my coach had been sort of you know back back yourself back your own decision making. If you want to actually run on your own, you do that. You know you don't have to go with the group. Get on the start line and yeah, read the map basically. And I don't know if you've kind of spoken about Chris before. He obviously oh, dropped out quite early in the in the race. So then there was the five of us basically going round. And me kind of sitting there, basically at the back of the group. We did a lot of running together. Came through the arena, um, Wojciech and Joey and Yannick basically pushed the speed. And I kind of didn't go with them. It was going pretty quickly. And I was kind of behind Gustav. And right, I want to try and overtake Gustav and try and get up to the advice. And I'd kind of speed up and Gustav would speed up. And then there'd be like this corner and you'd be like, right, okay, just tuck in. And then you'd be like, come up again. And they were just kind of drifting away and then I must have just got the like the mental side of it I was like right actually there isn't there isn't far left you can kind of hurt start hurting yourself a mm. bit more sort of managed to get past Gustav and you know you could see the boys in front you know I knew exactly the route choice that I was going to take back to the last control and I'd run it before on the same course so knew exactly how it was going to look and where I was needing to turn and it's like right there's Yannick you know Right, I've got to get past him while it's a bit cornery because he's going to be faster than me when it gets to the flat out, you know, last 200 meter run to the uh, last control. And I managed to get past him on the on the corners and and there it was just like you said, run and uh, run as hard as you can to the finish. I was there and it was like <laughs> I ended up with third place in this. Um... Thinking about you know you saying you're being totally shocked at qualifying fastest in your heat, that must have been beyond what you'd even considered about this knockout sprint yeah definitely in a weird it doesn't feel like when i've done good orienteering races feels that like i've gone out there and i've really made some like good decisions in a way i've done Mm -hmm. some very smart things out in the forest in a way it does i don't have the same kind of feedback from this knockout sprint Mm -hmm. like okay semi-final made a very good decision but in the in the final, it doesn't really feel like the same kind of orienteering that I've done in the forest. Mm. I don't have that same kind of feedback of, yeah, I remember making this decision or, or whatever. So I think that's what's um, confusing me, maybe most at the moment. Why it does it just doesn't feel the same as uh, as how I would have expected. A race to feel previously well let's um have a quick comment about uh the 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 next race uh the sprints which um from commentary looks like you ha- you had a pretty good um speed through most of the course um but mistake 
at the very end cost you big time. Yeah, going back on all the other feedback I'd had for the whole of the knockout sprint was that, okay, I'm actually, I'm running pretty well at the sprint orienteering. My decision making's all right. Um, let's just go and we'll see what happens. And there's a chance of good result from an early start, basically. And I think I executed quite a decent race. I think one of my weaknesses in or in sprint orienteering is the longer route choice legs. I feel like I don't often pick the best route when it's uh, on these long route choices for some reason that I haven't worked out yet. But somehow this, uh, I managed to fluke basically the decisive long leg that we had, which gained me quite a lot of time against the people I was roughly around for the split. And I was tired in the end of the course and made this ridiculous, you know, mistake which is you know a classic well it's the only mistake you can really make in sprint orienteering is i ran down the wrong street for some amount of time basically and i think i'd use that as okay that's the evidence of me not having done a whole lot of sprint training was Mm. that i made this ridiculously stupid mistake when i'm tired at the end of a race yeah Um, and i I think you weren't you weren't the only one or at different points i suppose about finding where the line is of really pushing yourself but still being able to do that orienteering so um well i was going to say everyone but it was mainly chris was joking that you were a sprint specialist uh, he was he was really really taking the piss and and trying to say oh ralph you're a sprint specialist now um so what do you have to say to that Just get some controversy going <laughs> after i've been so nice to chris all, all interview. well i i think Basically, I'm living in Norway. There is a lot of beautiful forests to run in Mm. and there's a lot of very cool forest races that I like doing. I happen to be, as evidenced, quite all right at sprint orienteering. So maybe I'm a... Oh, now I definitely... I'd thought of of a very witty response last week, but it's now now out of my mind. But I'm not a sprint specialist. Maybe I'm a, a person who gets reasonable results in the sprint but i would like to be a person who gets reasonable results in the forest as well and that's not a soundbite is it (laughs) (laughs) an all-rounder well i mean if i can be an all-rounder like ben stokes then then yeah only with maybe less uh less nightclub incidents (laughs) (laughs) yeah save them for the banquet i think (laughs) yeah but i mean it sounds like you know your heart lies more in the forest I've, my view is that sprint orienteering is a summer sport. I like mm. the idea of it being warm. You get your shorts and your vest on and you run around some, <laughs> uh, some town. And when the weather is not good, you know, getting out in the forest, getting like muddy and wet is like, is where it's at. This is a part of the decision making process and asking questions about your sprint form and thinking, what do you do with it next year with those sprint world championships in Denmark coming exactly. up? Exactly. What do you have country. any do you have any answers to this? Are you gonna go for that? Um if it rains on, on the re- on the record. Um, <laughs> I I think honestly, it's not as it's not as motivating sitting here talking about world champs next year as it was last year talking about mm-hmm. Norway world champs. I don't feel the same kind of, yeah, let's really go and smash this. And I think it's because I'm not as motivated to do what I think the training, what training I need to do. I mean, this is, this is you know, very much first world problems. But I'm complaining about the amount of quality sprint training that I can get 
in in Oslo. Mm. I think um, if you compare that to Britain, I'm uh, lacking in in sprint areas. So in a way, that's what worries me a little bit about next year, in that mm-hmm. I don't feel that I've got as good a possible as the best possible opportunities to prepare myself for a sprint. However, saying that, I don't really know what exactly it is I need to do. So therefore, I might be completely wrong. And there have been a lot of very good sprinters from Scandinavia. If there are opportunities in bits of Scandinavia for people to become world champion in sprint orienteering, then you'd assume that actually Oslo can probably provide those opportunities as well. In answer to that, in answer to the question of (laughs) will I run world champs next year, I think the answer will be um, yes, I will be putting my hat into the ring for selection to the British team. Um, Exactly what discipline I'll be aiming for, that I, I don't know. I think as a team we've got some interesting decisions to make in how we want the team to kind of look and how we feel people can recover Mm. between the races. I think it's no secret. If you look at the results list, there is Chris a long way out in front Mm. and then there's a lot of people whose, um, at least their individual sprint results, are very, very similar or have been over the past year. So will people be able to perform better given that they haven't raced two days beforehand? We're talking about team size, you know. I don't think we're going to send... Well, I don't know. I mean, the uh, the selectors, in their infinite wisdom, will pick a team, and that will be the best possible team. They may choose to take three men and three women to fill all the spots. That's completely within their power to do so. Or they may choose to take more people. And hopefully we as a, a squad can uh, discuss how we feel about this issue mm. to be uh, as diplomatic as possible. <laughs> yeah. I think the IOF put out on their Twitter something the GPS tracking from it might have been Gustav he had 30k of running on the day of the knockout mm. yeah and that that is a colossal amount regardless of who you are and how fit you are to have between two other races and on the the individual sprint day you've probably got a qualifier as well so um and now Ralph quickly um I believe you're off to China um very shortly have you yep. um have you competed there before and what are your expectations for, the, for that um, weekend Never been to China before. I think it's going to be really exciting. Lots of new experiences, both cultural and orienteering. I, I think the honest answer is actually probably the same as Switzerland, which is mm. I don't really have any expectations at all. Um, I've got no idea how I'll perform. I've taken a bit of a break after the World Cup in Switzerland because that was the plan, was that I was feeling a bit demotivated before Switzerland and therefore having the break now is better than having the break after China. So Mm. I don't really know what my shape is going to be like. I guess it's going to be all right, but it's not going to be brilliant. I've never orienteered there before. So in terms of what's mapped as what and everything, I'm not really sure. And flying in a couple of days before on some good jet lag, I guess. Yep. (laughs) So... I would like to run as well as I possibly can and I'll be focusing on getting the absolute most out of myself in the various races. And I might come back and surprise myself like I did in Switzerland with 
some really good results potentially could happen the forest in china is the meant to be a actual like proper forest i've heard or is like maybe half proper forest and half kind of park or something yeah that's what i get so i think that's actually probably going to be pretty good for me i think my feeling is that i'm quite a decent technical orienteer so if there's a bit of technical stuff in there and then a bit of running that should be all right exciting well um will do you have any more questions no no uh just thank you for coming on yeah thank you very much best of luck we'll see you in china yes looking forward to it it's a fantastic interview there from ralph street really great to hear his insight into the just what happens at the knockout sprint at the world cup and how he got his bronze medal there moving on to the next weekend we've got the final relay in the round of big scandinavian relays the shufem manor relay in stockholm this weekend um And this, for anyone who doesn't know, this is a 25-person relay, which includes all of your club members. And legs three to seven, you were allowed up to, uh, you have four people each on those. And they, uh, the age classes on those range from juniors to 60s, um, 35s, 50s, um, etc. So it's really the best club team that wins the event. Just to explain the handover slightly, when you hand over on an individual leg to a group of four, it is the first one back, hands over to the first person of that next group of four. So you want to tactically think about, do you need to pull up places from the previous group leg onto the next group leg? So you have your best runner going out last to catch up. So you're sending all of your next runners out together or mm. something of that inkling. But really quite complicated as to how they set the courses. Um, some of them are not gaffled legs, some of them are gaffled, and it really gets a bit messy out there. Um, I've done first <laughs> leg on it once, and that was tough enough because it had a kind of five meter wide starting channel for, uh, I don't know, like 900 teams or something like that. So it's mm. it pretty intense, but it's great fun and it's a really nice atmosphere and uh, just great, you know, feeling everyone, everyone gets mucked in together and you're supporting the like 14 year olds as much as you're supporting the 70 year olds and it, it's brilliant 25 people in a team that's why it's about the whole club the website says 350 teams almost 9,000 runners attending the competition it's just it's just immense and intense and um yeah. we're not quite sure who's going out there the teams most teams haven't been declared when we're recording this um but yeah. i'm sure there will be some brits featuring in some of the teams yeah, I'm sure people uh, people like Hector Haynes, who who lives uh, so li- leading a uh, okay leading a take it really seriously, and and they're going to want to win that. So mm. I know Hector will probably be running in in one of their teams. I'm not sure they'll probably have you know, three or four or five, yeah. even. Um, I'm kind of jealous of not going over for it, but it's uh, I need a bit of a, a break. <laughs> yeah, so so you're going to be breaking um, before or like finalising your preparations for China, I guess, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was at back back at work today, you know, bright and early, um, and I'll be yeah, kind of getting over that little cold I had and then, and cracking on with intervals and um, and just get, getting back into winter training. And you mean well, I've got the JHIs this weekend. Oh yes, um, they're on yeah. as well. So junior home internationals, I'm taking um, part of the 
England squad taking a team of England there, so juniors, uh, so MW 14s, 16s and 18s, they're all going over to Northern Ireland. Some hilly races in the Mourne Mountains should be quite fun, hopefully not too cold. And then I think the weekend after, which I've literally forgotten about until now, which is great considering I'm commentating there, is the uh, Compass Sport Cup final. Uh, Will, are you heading to the Compass Sport Cup final? (laughs) I am, yeah, I've forgotten about that. I am. <laughs> I know. It's all these things keep coming at you. Come Sport Cup oh, final, dear. Mole Valley area. Been used before, there is a map, go check it out. Uh, I'm saying this because I haven't seen it recently. Um, oh, I haven't looked at it. Uh, so, as usual, teams competing for the Compass Sport Cup for the, big, for the large clubs and Compass Sport Trophy for the small clubs. Will FEO retain their title? I think they're winning winners of the cup despite being eligible for the trophy because they're technically a small club, but they have got a lot of strength in the few runners, comparatively few runners that they have. Um, but will they be able to take it with, you know, being in the south of England? Who, how many of their um, their club members will travel all that way? Yeah, no, that should be great. Um, and then I'm just, I'm just going to finish off with a little uh, thank you to everyone again who, while I was away, I don't think I mentioned I've been to Australia. I've been to Australia. <laughs> uh, uh, came up and um, said they were listening to the podcast or enjoyed it and um, or or listened to my plugs on the commentary and, and then gave it a listen and, and then said uh, um, you know how much they enjoyed it. So thank you very much to um, everyone out there who made my time just you know, so much more hospitable. Um, but yeah, everyone knew who's listened to the podcast and um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah, thank you so much. It means a lot, all your support, all your lessons. Um, you know, we're just doing this in our, you know, in front of our computers, in our rooms, speaking to nobody. So the fact that, it, that anybody <laughs> listens is very exciting. Um, anybody, anyway, so um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, we're just before that World Cup final in China, building up to all of that. Hopefully it'll look back on um, the Compass Sport Cup final as well. But we will be back in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs>